Shalom, this is Amet, a.k.a. Shomer Man, with your Parsha GYS for Pesach Shani edition. Okay, let us, without further ado, go right into our studies. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bakar Banu Mikol Hamin, Venatan Lanu Etorato, Baruch Atah Adonai, Noten HaTorah, Amen. Amen. So, before we get there, I'm flipping through the Targum on Kalos, and I just wanted to make a quick stop at the uh, purification of, of the Leva'im. Okay, so there's this whole thing about um, them getting shaved and waved and sprinkled and all that kind of stuff, and... Um, you know, I had a one of the guys at our shul was asking, you know, so about the Leviim being waved. And then another lady from our shul asked, okay, so about the Leviim being waved. Like, okay, so all this stuff about that. So I've compiled a, uh, this is a two-for-one special right here. Pesach, Shaney. Shaney is second. Okay, so keeping up with our theme here okay hang on opening up the archives and go to my waving of the living standby okay so here's the sources on all that okay so first of all He's talking about waving them. Uh, where are we at here? Separates. Mixed community. Antoinette. Okay. 8-11. Aharon should raise the Leviim as a wave offering. Targum, just because we're here. Consistency is important. Is more important than practicality. In verse 11, it is impossible to literally either wave the Levites, as stated in scripture, or raise them, as rendered by Ankalos, as well as pseudo Yonatan, Sadia Rashbam, and Avarvanel, or Abravanel, and others. Okay. So they all agree that, okay, that's kind of weird. Can't, that's impossible. Nevertheless, since wave is usually understood as raise, okay, so whether you say raise or wave, it's yes. It actually derives from the same root as wave, raise, which means room. And it says that change is made. And then we got the used method for emphasis here. Okay, so basically if you read on Colossi, he says, hmm, that's uh, quite impossible. And a whole bunch of my homeboy homeboys feel the same way. So now I'm going to go over here. I got to re-pull up my notes. I apologize. Waving the Levites. 
go. Okay, so my note is completely missing, so I'll just go to my backup. It's always good to have a backup. Okay, <laughs> so here's the backup. So let's start with, I'm pretty sure this is, uh, this is a humash of some sort, but it's breaking it down. It'll give you the, the source in this humash. It says that since the Leviim acted as atonement for the Israelites, they were commanded to place their hands on them, like the Israelites were, right? And it says, then they were able to atone for the sin of the golden calf, which Israel had made and which the firstborn had worshipped, as Rashi points out in verse 7, in the name of Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan. Okay, so that's what we got there. So it's interesting that the Leviim are treated as if they were dead and brought back to life because that's the whole purification ritual that's going on because you know immerse in the death of Mashiach you know that's why we do a mikvah because we immerse in him so they did their immersion and then they were waved and so it's all like resurrection okay so here's the footnote on wave which is vehanafta Okay, or Hanufa is another way to say it as well. It says, Aharon had been instructed to lift and wave the Leviim now. Moshe was told to do the same. Two wave offerings represented different missions now devolved upon them. So now they have a two-part mission, just like the way the menorah is lit and just like the redemption. Okay, because we got the suffering servant who comes first with the redemption, and then we have the reigning king. Okay, so it says the first part of their mission, Moshe lifted them to formalize their position as assistants of the Kohanim. Okay, the Leviim are the holy ninja assist assistants in the temple precinct because Moshe waved them. Secondly, Aharon lifted them as a representative of the nation for or to formalize the Leviim's assumption of their status as firstborn. So if you're raised up by he who is the first of Israel, the Kohen, okay, that's the transferring. And I was talking to a guy at work and I was letting him know when you transfer the priesthood you know the current priest goes into the mikvah to oversee the person who's being transferred to so you got your wave here as a designation so there's this whole thing about the designation okay so stav soldat who is one of our avengers he said that if you think about waving the Leviim, which by the way, Vayikra Rabbah 26.9, here you go, comments on the prodigious strength and stamina that were needed for Moshe and Aharon to lift bodily 22,000 Leviim in a single day. 
And he said, well, you know, if you don't count how much time it took to set up and everybody get dressed and all that, however long in a day, in order to waive 22,000 people, that's 3.93 seconds per person. So you're going to cut that even more if you think about well, you only got the 12 hours in a day, but then even in that 12 hours, you got from Shakari to like Minka. And then maybe a little after you can go, but from sunrise to sunfall, you know, or nightfall, so you got, that you got to wave 22,000 people. So uh, that's a lot. So uh, here's the rest of my sources. I have Midrash Tankuma, the Buber edition, on Emor 6, that says, He, Aharon, was heroic in strength. Consider, or come and consider, Aharon, when he waved the Leviim as a wave offering. He waved 22,000 in one day. How did he wave them? Back and forth, up and down. Okay? If that seems familiar to you, that is exactly what we do with the lulav, except we do that uh, in six different directions, with the seventh direction being the central point. So, basically, this is a seven-in-one deal that Aharon would do with the Leviim. Because if you think about what's happening here, when we count our Omer, we're going through all 49 gates of understanding so that we can receive the 50th gate, the Torah, which only Hashem can do. And so only Hashem can really say that these Leviim are firstborns and that they're assistants. So he's waving them to enact all those levels. So you got Chesed, which is kindness. You got discipline, which is Gevura. You got harmony, which is Teferit. Perseverance, Netzach, you got submission, which is hoed, connection, which is yesod, and then the heart, when you bring it everything into the central point, you have Malkut. And this is the kingdom, this is the communication. So that's my source. And I'm sticking to it. Alright. So anyway, that uh that really just got me because it was just kind of like wow like these people are purified from the dead you know they're treated like lepers and dead people and they get to take on our service our intercessory service and we have to lay our hands on them and they're called the firstborn you know and i would submit this is why mashiach was punched i mean it's an appropriate inappropriate way to do so but that's laying hands so that happened but really we lay hands on someone with our words as well so for us saying crucify him crucify him and I notice the definition I'm using or terminology I'm using is us because we all said it you know in hindsight we can look back at it now and be like no we didn't say it but yes we did and it's good that we did because we would have never received salvation you know, from this body of death, you know, through this body of death going through death, namely in Mashiach. So there is that. Pesach Shani. 
can we get there? Okay, so bearish or wow, I was gonna say bearish sheet. Bami Bar Nine, verse one. Adonai spoke with Moshe in the wilderness of Sinai in the second year after the Exodus from the land of Mitzrayim. Okay, and it says in the first month, saying the Israelites should prepare the Pesach sacrifice in its time. Okay, like a moed, it's a fixed thing. Prepared on the 14th day of the month at twilight, on time. Prepare it according to the statutes that are proper for it. Okay, you got to do this thing appropriately. Can't just be playing around. This is why Shaul says, you know, don't abuse Hashem's table. Stay at home if you're hungry. Why don't we go ahead and go to that verse? Uh obviously in Corinthians so let's go ahead and go there alright 1 Corinthians 11 starting at 34 anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that you so that when you meet together it may not result in judgment and when I come I will give you further directions Okay, so this is interesting because it's all like you should eat together and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, if you do deductive reasoning, what's Hashem's table? You know, the king's table. You know, obviously that's Shabbat. But we're talking about Pesach here because when you're going through the 15 Aliyot of Pesach, you don't want to be like partaking of all the different elements without uh, proper understanding and proper uh, ways of doing this. Like, you don't want to be like, oh, yeah, I'm so grateful for this uh, carpus. So I could eat a whole lot of carpus so that I'm not hungry, you know, because uh, I don't really care what this means. I just know I need to feed my stomach. And it's just like, don't do that. And so, if you don't have that kind of backdrop, it doesn't make any sense for you to say anyone who is hungry should eat at home. Because it's like, didn't we come to the dinner table to eat? So, I mean, you got to think about these things, right? So, anyway, just wanted to bring that up. That uh, that's Hashem's table and we don't need to be disrespecting it. We need to understand that the elements we're partaking of, these are literally... This is the yod and the hay of our emuna. This is the 15. Okay? Don't disrespect. Don't separate. Don't, uh, like, separate Hashem, basically. I know you're probably like, don't separate. What do you mean, don't separate? Okay? Don't take these elements and make them into a meal. Okay? Just for feeding your flesh and, and for taking your eyes off Mashiach. Okay? So then... It says, Moshe spoke with the Israelites to prepare the Pesach sacrifice. Then they prepared this pa the Pesach sacrifice on the 14th day of the month at twilight in the wilderness, just as Hashem had commanded. But there were men who were unclean because of the uncleanness of a human being. 
Talk about bad timing, right? It's like, oh, it's the 14th in Nissan. Great. Uh, I'm unclean now. I don't. I don't get to do this. Okay. They could not prepare the Pesach offering on that day. They came before Moshe and Aharon on that day. Now, for those of you who disagree with leadership, take a note of these men here. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. These men said to him, We are unclean because of the uncleanness of a human being. But why must we be excluded from bringing the offering to Adonai with other Israelites at its set time? That's a mouthful. First of all, they realize they're unclean and it's not anybody else's fault. Second of all, because of those circumstances, is there anything that can be done? Okay. Next thing they're not attacking the leaders they're just stating we have a problem here what can we do to fix it okay it's like objective don't attack people don't attack leadership you know own up to your own uh, circumstances right so then it says they're asking okay why must we be excluded and we want to do things appropriately, okay? So see, that's the other part. You need to want to do right as well and not be upset about it. But be like, you know, I'm trying to see clarity on this. Please help. Now, it says, Moshe said to them, Wait here until I hear that which will be commanded before Adonai concerning you. Now, that's great because Moshe is like, I hear your point. I see how that could be an issue. I'm pretty sure Hashem has something for that. So just stand by. And these people, they do that. And then when the commandment comes down, they respond. Okay? So can we please all do that? So here's the deal. So it breaks it all down. Have the second Pesach in the second month. You do everything the same. But you can have leaven in your home. Okay, because the big part of Pesach, you get rid of your leaven. You get rid of the agents that puff up. But see, the thing about this Pesach Shani, one of the many things, is that that which uh, makes you puffed up because of the, uh, the journey and the path to get here, you know, you don't really have that same kind of uh, circumstances you have with the first Pesach. Because first Pesach, you got the four Shabbats that are before it. You got Shabbat Hagadol that kind of caps it off. And then you got, you know, uh, the 14th of Nisan, which is a crazy day, full day. And then you go right into the 15th and then you got the seven days of the leaven. And so once you go through that time frame, you know, leavening is neutralized if you completely go through that process. So for Pesach Shani, you know, if you didn't get to go through the Pesach process, you got one day to do it. Now, because of where you're coming from, you're going to really go for it on this. You got less time. You got to do the same amount of stuff, you know, and so you're like, you're really going to push it. You know, it's just like, 
it's great to have, you know, 15, 20 minutes to get to work if it takes you 30 minutes to get to work, you know? So you give yourself time or sleep. If your work is less than 15, 20 minutes away and you gave yourself 30 minutes to get to work. Okay. So you got to work, uh, in 15 or 20 minutes and, uh, you know, it's further away. So, you know what I'm trying to say? Wow. I did a mighty hover. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Okay. But anyway, you left early. You're 30 minutes early. You're at work. Now, if you knew work was 15, 20 minutes away and you left with like 15 to 20 minutes to get there, you best believe you're not going to take your time as if you had left 30 minutes early. That's the significance of Pace Like Shaney, that you don't have time to mess around. You're not playing around. All of your intent is so dialed up to 11. Um, you're like, you're not playing around with that. So, Kehurt Humash Hasidic Insights says, I got to get to him here. Love the way they broke this down. Says, we were ritually defiled. Chapter 9, verse 7. The Yehudim understood why they could not bring the sacrifice together with everyone else. That's beautiful. You know, because when you're upset about something or if you realize there's limitations that you have that are different from everybody else, don't get upset about it. It's just like, if there's a limitation there and if it's like truly kosher and you're like, man, I wish this limitation wasn't here. That's all you got to say, man, I wish this limitation wasn't here. Is there something that can be done? So, it's so beautiful. It says they were ritually defiled. But these people were like some of the most beautiful, shining examples of this week's Torah portion. Other than now, that and Midad, obviously. But, Josh, for another time. We were defiled. They still cried. Why should we be left out? We want to be able to achieve the same connection to God as everyone else. We know that our impurity precludes this, but we insist on participating nonetheless. So in other words, this is my limitation. If it is possible with Hashem, I do not accept it. Okay? That's a different statement of saying, I don't accept this. This is, this is unacceptable. Okay? You got to have a, a halakha about it, okay? Now, check this out. We must learn from their example. Because we are living in exile, we too are spiritually defiled. Yeah, that just happened. That just happened. Refraining from making extra commentary. We cannot bring the Passover offering. Okay? So, if we're looking at Bami Bar chapter 9, like, what in the world? Okay, yes, this is, is in the world. Like, we don't have a temple right now, so we fit Bami Bar 9 to a T. So, since we can't bring the Pesach offering, it says, But if we truly cry out to Hashem, demanding the opportunity to connect with Him, feeling that the missed opportunity to serve him jeopardizes our very being and reminding him 
of his responsibility for our impurity. In other words, the temple is destroyed because Hashem deemed it so. Just think about this. If Hashem did not want the temple to be destroyed, it would not be destroyed. Because I'm going through all this Midrash here, and, it, and part of this Midrash, it talks about how Hashem still performed the crossing of the Yom Suf, even though people held on to their idols. I mean, wait, what? You mean to tell me Hashem is going to work a miracle, He's going to bring you into salvation, and you're still holding on to idols? And Hashem is like, yeah, it's okay. We got to get to Torah. We got to get to the mountain. We got to get you purified. We got to get you cleansed. But right now, we got to go. That's beautiful because there's this bottleneck, it seems, like for conversion in Mashiach to where it's like, you know, I was a sinner, and then he set me free. And it's like, cricket, cricket, to do what? Because you're loving people, that's great. But even before you knew Mashiach, you knew how to love people. So what's different now? Well, I love them from a spiritual standpoint. Okay, how do you do that? What's spiritual about loving someone just like you loved them before? So anyway, not trying to poke and attack, but poke and attack, I guess. We're all in the same boat. We're all impure. And so we have to make sure that we understand that even if we have been delivered and set free, that's not a pretext for, oh, not a pretext for sin. Okay, Baruch Hashem, I was not going to say that, but now I am. But we have to get rid of our idols, okay? Just because you crossed the Yom Suf and you still had your idols and Hashem was like, yeah, I want to pretend like I didn't see that. Throw it away, you know? But when you get to the mountain, there was no more idol worship, even though they created the golden calf. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, Hashem, you brought them all the way to the mountain. You were about to give them Hashemayim. And they're like they amplified their idol worship. Like, I don't understand how this whole covenant thing works. And Hashem is like, Baruch Hashem, because as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than the ways of man so there's that but anyway what happened after the golden calf what happened when idol worship reached its climax ultimately we lost we fell from grace but ultimately teshuva was revealed we still were able to receive the torah and through mashiach yeshua we now receive the sapphire tablets that were originally intended so we we're gleaning from that right now for those of us who are lepidim and then um but the whole thing is they they got rid of their idols okay gotta stop doing that it's not 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 cool it's not a covenant thing but hashem never treated treated uh, you have idols and you constantly turn your face from me and you constantly seek your own desires. He didn't treat that as a pretext for making us his chosen and beloved people. 
was talking to another guy at work about that because he's like, yeah, the Jews are like, they got a free ride. No, we don't. We don't have a free ride. Everybody has a free ride. And I, I wanted to tell him that, but that would have been a little too much. So I'm telling him that now. So hopefully if you hear this, that I'm talking to you. But I'll talk to you in person when it's also time for that. And I hope I can do that soon, sooner than later. But all mankind has a free ride. Because see, the chosen people is a people to which many are invited, but few are chosen. That's why they're called chosen people, because few actually are chosen. Few actually stick it out and say, nah, save it, Few actually say, I believe in Mashiach, I hold on to the Torah, I seek you, Hashem, I love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind. I want your Torah. I do not want to be separate from you. I've been in a state of impurity. I've been defiled. I'm done with that. I don't want this idol anymore. Few are chosen because few people get rid of stuff. You know, you tell someone who grew up celebrating Xmas and Schmeister and Valentine's Day and uh, whatever, take candy from strangers dressed up like an evil creature day and all that kind of stuff. You tell them to let that go because they have been chosen, because Mashiach said, follow me, because Hashem said, here's my Torah that you're going to have some serious friction to say the least and it's like that is you needing to let go like this is not a free ride you're chosen because you gave up yourself because you died because you did like the Levi'im in chapter 8 the the Levi'im did not bow to the golden calf and as soon as Moshe uttered from his mouth if you're with Hashem, stand with me. All the Leviim got to him. And they put swords on and they took care of business. So, is that us? Is that you? Are we choosing to stay with Hashem and be his chosen people? Will we stick it out? Will we endure to the end? Because if we endure to the end, we will be given the right to eat from the tree of life. So, if you're eating some Torah right now, it's because you're overcoming. So may you continue. Stay suited up. Stay on track. Okay? Rikishim. So now these people who were off track would want to get on track because they were defiled. They could not do the Pesach. So that's a problem. Not doing the Pesach is a problem. So we got into a discussion not a heated discussion, but a beautiful discussion about proselytes and gares and converts and strangers and sojourners and all that kind of whatever, runners. And and it's just like, so what's the deal with all these? Ankalos just like swoops over the whole top thing and is all like, these people are all synonymous, not technically all synonymous, but overarching in desire they're synonymous because Hashem wants all men to uphold his Torah. He wants all men to come in. That's why we're to love the proselyte because we ourselves were proselytes when we were in Mitzrayim. The whole nation of Israel is a nation of proselytes. No one is naturally born Jewish, even if they're naturally born Jewish. 
because the first Jew wasn't naturally born Jewish. He was naturally born a Chaldean or a Babylonian, and he decided to say, you know what, I forsake all this, and Hashem, I choose you. I choose to give up all of my holidays I grew up with. I choose to even leave behind family members that don't choose you. You know, imagine the crazy, dramatic, drastic change of Abraham and Sarah. They had the, the souls that they had made, the converts that they literally had made, and Lot and Eliezer and whatever they could carry on the road. That's it. We don't hear about Sarah's mom. We don't hear about Abraham's mom or dad or all the extended family or their jobs and all that kind of stuff. It all got left in Ur Khazdim. So, and somewhere I was reading, sources hatred, here we go, here we go. Uh, Ur Khazdim literally can translate to fiery furnace. The furnace, like the, uh, the Ur being the light, and then Khazdim of the, uh, the righteous, so the fire furnace that tests the righteous. You know, that's why in our Haftarah portion, Yehoshua was delivered because he's righteous. He got delivered from the fire, just like Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, commonly known as Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. But anyway, all that. Just a little fired up about it. So can we leave it? Can we put away our idols? Can we grab a hold of Hashem's Torah and be the ones who's grabs a hold of the branches and whose supporters will be blessed, you know. Alright, so anyway, Kehert Humash, these defiled people are like, can we do something? We gotta keep the pace up. Because it jeopardizes our very being. Reminding him, reminding Hashem of our responsibility for impurity. He will surely redeem us from exile and afford us the opportunity to connect with him fully. Makute Sikot again, probably catching on to a theme here. It says, allegorically, tending to a dead relative, really, let the dead bury the dead, means helping someone who is spiritually dead. Wow. So you don't get the Pesach if you're helping someone who is dead. Back to the proselyte and sojourners and front runners and all that kind of stuff. Um, just wanted to make sure I covered the point beautifully or not beautifully because, well, hopefully beautifully. Hashem wants no one to be a convert. There's none of this no-eyed stuff, none of this being separate. Like the sign says, no circumcised shall enter for the temple precincts. Slika. Interestingly enough, there were, I feel like it was Titus, who was actually in the temple with uh, Shaul during some of the sacrifices, and people were upset because they're like saying he brought a Greek, like in other words, he wasn't Jewish, because technically he wasn't circumcised, but he was in agreement to be circumcised because later he did get circumcised, and that's the thing with conversion you can convert with the agreement to get circumcised you know so there's that you know it's not everything 
happening all at once as far as like manifestly done because it's saying like as much of the Pesach's um, mitzvot and ordinances that you can do, that's what you do even when you convert. It's just like, I just converted yesterday. It's like, great, get on in here, grab that matzah and, you know, dip the vegetables with us. And it's like, okay, I have no idea what's going on. It's like, great, because neither did we the first time we kept Pesach. So, you know, welcome. We've been expecting you, I guess. But anyway, um, I feel like I'm just swerving all over the place. Hmm. Okay, so allegorically, tending to a dead relative means helping someone who's spiritually dead. So remember, in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about how we were spiritually dead. What does spiritually dead mean? Unconnected to Torah. Unconnected to Mashiach. Living a life that's about pleasing your own self. Because there's a way that seems right to a man that ultimately leads to death. Okay. So then it says, when we encounter such a person, our first priority is to revive his intrinsic connection with Hashem. See, I love how they just put it explicitly in there. The death comes from disconnection. If you connect to Hashem and his Torah, Mashiach, be filled with the Ruach. That's how you go from death into life. Like, it's it's great to know what practical steps are. Don't leave everything spiritual, like live for God. I'm on fire for him. Be filled with the spirit. What does that look like? Okay. So look, it's explicit here. When we encounter such a person, our first priority is to revive his intrinsic connection to Hashem through the Torah and its mitzvot. If you want to plug in, that's the way you plug in. Of course, this encounter will require us to temporarily abandon our own loftier pursuits while we take care of our fellows' more basic spiritual needs. But the holiday of the second Pesach assures us that God will return this lost time and allow us the relationship or allow us the fullest expression of our own relationship to him also. This was also saying how when you kindle the menorah lamps, like the fire is not diminished. It's the same fire, but it's just getting spread. And so even as we go out and make proselytes, yeah, we lose out temporarily, but ultimately with the redemption, which we just were waiting on the rest of our proselytes because Hashem is not slow in keeping his promise. He just wants no man to perish. So... All of you know men out there, stop perishing and get in here so Mashiach can return. Um, so anyway, when that time comes, we will realize we actually didn't lose anything and we even gained. So, Rikishim. So check this out. It says, there are two methods in serving Hashem. I've heard this before, but not like this. The path of righteousness and the path of Teshuvah. When we are on the path of righteousness, we fulfill our mission straightforward. Divine mission. Got it. Check. Own it. We shun all sources of defilement and do what is required of us. But because we are fulfilling God's mission in the context of the finite material world and elevating it and ascending through it, we must operate methodically and systematically. 
We must play by the rules. We cannot carry out a specific step unless we have completed prerequisites. Every step must build on one rather than oppose it. Okay, so steps. Then it says we must address the fact that we have succumbed to the forces of evil. Okay, if it's, let me just not skip anything. Sleek out. If, however, we have strayed from the path of righteousness, it is not enough to merely avoid impropriety. We must address the fact that we have succumbed to the forces of evil and use this fact to strengthen the weak point in our relationship with Hashem. Okay, when you fail and you get led astray, let me break it on down some more. Uh, let's see here. I think I have I have this uh, bookmark somewhere. Let me go to it. I remember this, just like Zechariah four six. Remember this. Which is uh, not by power, not by light, but by my spirit, says I don't know. Well, I'm really working my brain right now because I'm remembering that and looking up Yaakov 114. Yaakov 114, you know what I mean? Okay. But each one is tempted by his own ta'ava, his own lusting, being dragged off by it and being allured. Also see Mishle 19.3. Of course, of course, we're swerving. Should've known, should've known. Okay, 19.3. Okay, let's bring the book in the light. Beha Alotka. A man's foolishness corrupts his way and his heart rages against Hashem. Okay. So, but each one is tempted by his own ta'ava, being dragged off by and allured. Okay, that's Yaakov 1.14. This is the Mishle get you some. It says, a person will make foolish decisions, yet when retribution comes, he will blame Hashem for treating him unfairly, not realizing that he himself is to blame. Boy, that, that don't seem relevant at all. No, not at all. No. Not at all. Just not relevant. Just, I don't even understand what that means. Okay, I'm just kidding, y'all. I can't see my face. I know. Okay. The classic example, Ta'anit 9a, is the feeling of... Stop it. Okay. It's hard to read this. Okay. It's like, wow, really? That's what you go with? The classic example of this, making foolish decisions, but when retribution comes, you want to blame Hashem, not realizing that we're the blame. Okay, that's the context. Ta'anit 9a says, this is the feeling of Yosef's brothers when the viceroy of Mitzrayim had them detained and accused them of being spies. Though they acknowledge their guilt at having sold Yosef, they still exclaim, what is this that God has done to us? Bereshit 42, 21, and 28. 
Own up to it, y'all. This is the thing. We will look upon him that we have pierced, and we will mourn for him as an only son. Okay. Hopefully on a lighter note, I hope. Pun intended. In Sha'arei Teshuva, the gates of Teshuva, Rav Yonah says, If a person fails to acknowledge that his misfortune is caused by his own sins, that in itself is a sin. As Hashem says, Behold, I enter into judgment with you because you say, I have not sinned. Yermiyahu 2.35 this verse refutes those who believe that man is born good or evil and cannot change. Such a belief contradicts the Jewish principle that a man has a free choice. Subconsciously, those who profess otherwise seek to satisfy their own lust and then shift the blame to Hashem, claiming that he left them no choice. Homiletically, kind of the same but different. Sometimes a person's end goal is good, but along the way he makes wrongful shortcuts or detours because they are easier than the proper moral or halakhic way. Aharon didn't just say, well, I'm tall enough, I can just go light the menorah. Like, what is that? Or I lit the lamps toward the face I got to go do other stuff now. So what What if the lamps are facing other directions? It's okay. They're still facing the face. And he's like, nope. Kindle those things toward the center. And they stay towards the center. And I'm using this step even though I'm really tall. Because I can be made short in an instant. Hashem made me this way. So I'm going to use what Hashem gave me as a gift. And I'm going to use it in humility. I'm going to use my height to make myself low. Okay. So that's the elucidation to this comment here. So then it says, subconsciously, those who profess otherwise, those who profess that man doesn't have a free choice, basically, they seek to satisfy their lust and then shift the blame to Hashem, claiming he left them no choice. Homiletically, sometimes a person's end goal, or sleek out, okay, Sometimes a person's end goal is good, but along the way he takes wrongful shortcuts, detours, because they are easier than the proper moral or halakhic way. This angers Hashem because the goal does not justify the means. <clears throat> okay, the goal does not justify the means. Although he meant well, he has angered Hashem and he has no one to blame but himself. Zamak Hashem La Zibi. That's the source on that. So if you're taking shortcuts and detours and immoral and non halakhic ways to do things, just know Hashem's not pleased with that, which is, I mean, I can't just, wow, I can believe it. I just, I'm shocked right now. This right here is giving validation to Hashem's support of the oral Torah. Because if you have no halakha, how can you be sure that you're walking in the right way? Because halakha means to walk. You need a halakha. You need a rabbi 
okay? Because guess what? If you don't have a rabbi and you're trying to follow Yeshua, your next best option is to go find a pastor, which, you know, don't put yourself in that category, but you're going to end up following somebody, whether it's yourself or somebody else. So just get a rabbi and, and know that the people that Mashiach said do not call rabbi or do not call father, those are people who lead you astray. So if your rabbi is telling you to do something other than Torah, you might want to not call him rabbi and run away. Second of all, don't take shortcuts and detours around the halakha. Follow the halakha. Just all I can say. So, uh, yeah. I was trying to read Yaakov 1 because after this verse 14, it says, after her conception, now it's calling the Yetzahara a her. Because these lusts are stirred up in our Yetzahara. After her conception, the Ta'avah gives birth to Avera, transgression. Avera, once she has fully developed and looks all cute and stuff, she gives birth to death. And her feet go down to death. That's another proverb that I will not get into. <clears throat> What's the next verse of Yochanan 1? I'm glad you asked. Verse 16. Do not fall under a delusion. My beloved Achim Be'Mashiach. My beloved brothers and Messiah. Don't be deluded. Okay. It's good to be in the cloud. But, uh, you know, don't be corrupted or blinded or any of that. All right. So I was trying to uh, read the Kehert Humash because it was talking about Yaakov. Who would have known the Kehert Humash would have had Hasidic insights that are connected to Yaakov, which is commonly called James, by the way. A little late for that, but okay. So if we stray from our path, it's not enough to avoid impropriety. We must address the fact that we have succumbed to the forces of evil. And we must use this fact to strengthen our weak point in relationship to Hashem. When we do this, we transform the power of evil into holiness and our previous sin into a source of merit, thereby obtaining God's forgiveness for our misdeed. This ability to change that which is already done and to overcome wrongs that have already been perpetrated is drawn from the source of transcendent spirituality, a level beyond merit. It taps the essential relationship between man and God, which is not predicated on our obedience to his will. This connection can never waver. For it is intrinsic in our nature. The essence of the Jewish soul is one with God, whether we obey his will or not. And I know you're probably thinking, yeah, what about those non-Jews who believe in Mashiach who don't follow Torah right now? They love God so much. They made Teshuvah. 
You know what I say to that? Baruch Hashem. Complete your teshuva. Become Jewish. Okay. But anyway. Um, and keep making teshuva. So you don't really end teshuva. You just keep growing in it. Okay. The path of righteousness is reflected in the regular Passover celebration. Anyone who wishes to eat the Pesach must sacrifice and be pure. There must be, there must not be any leaven or the spiritual impurities it represents. Because this would contravene divine consciousness. The second Pesach, on the other hand, embodies the approach of Teshuva. Because it is an exercise in transcendence, it does not require the methodical preparation required by the regular Pesach. Leaven need not be banished since we are ready to elevate it too. Okay, we are like leaven, whatever. You can get you some and come serve Hashem. That's what we're like. And then, uh, I'll bring that down in a second. Earlier, impurity no longer matters for it cannot destroy this intrinsic connection and one day is not enough for this connection transcends time as well as behavioral issues Lakute sikot of course I, I didn't even look at it and then I was like saying it so we have uh, merged our Shomer hero universe we have the Marvel which are the Avengers and now we have DC, which you got to meet near Yarok a while back. Now I want to introduce y'all to the Shomer version in our Zadaka League. Instead of Justice League, it's the Zadaka League. We have Ish Ma'ale and Isha Ma'alea, which is Superman and Superwoman. That's right. Get you some. So. They have been woven into our um, hero league, and uh, I'm so excited to have them. And this is how they entered in. This is, they just kicked everybody in the face and said, you know, this is it, y'all. So, um, making sure I'm, uh, okay, Brugashim. So, Superman tags in and is all like, well, because our hand was gone after he tagged in, but he tagged nonetheless. And as we were bandaging up, he goes, so Pesach Shaney, so that would be um, the guy who, that's Joseph, who gave his tomb and, and the, everyone who prepared Mashiach's body for burial. You know, they wrapped him in the cloth and laid him in the tomb. Like they were impure and they couldn't celebrate the Pesach, right? It's just like, yeah, the people who actually dealt with carrying the body, laying it down, those specific people who literally had contact with that corpse, they were not able to eat the Pesach. So what makes that even more crazy is this. I hope I can find my place back because um, yep I won't be able to find my place back but Baruch Hashem alright so it says that this uh, Yosef of Arimathea 
is his name. And obviously that connects back to Yosef, who was asked by his father, Yaakov, to bury him in the triangle, so to ensure that his body would be buried in an appropriate place, right? So then, uh, okay, Rukasham, we got my place back. Now I got to get Yosef back over here. I know time is ticking out. Okay, if I don't get to finish this, I will definitely start a new drosh. But Yosef Arimathea is um, Matthew, and then it's also in Mark. Um, Mark 15, 43 says he took a risk and went to Pilate to ask for Yeshua's body. Okay, so he buried him. He would need that tomb. But here's the thing. Arimathea... If you look up the Hebrew of the Greek of that, it's Rama, as in Matthew 2.18, a voice is heard in Rama, weeping and great mourning, Rachel reaping for, weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted. This is the same place that Yosef uh, went as he was being sold into slavery. He weeped at her tomb, and this is the one who weeps to bring in the exiles. So, anyway, Pesach Shani, all about bringing in exiles, making teshuva, crossing over from death into life. Okay, so Baruch Hashem, I made it, and uh, we're all back now, so let's do our closing bracha with what do we know, what do we know? Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Torah Vekaye olam natabeto kainu, Baruch atarunai, no Amen. Amen. Blessings and shalom.